46. We're going to talk about how in the future doctors might determine when someone dies by looking at their genes. Gosh, I don't know if I'd want that information available to me. Uh, skiing robots tackle the slopes a long way from Olympic glory. But first, how cryptocurrencies are hindering the search for alien life. Um, Mark Zastro, science journalist, good morning to you. Good morning, Alex. So... We don't know for sure whether there is alien life. That's true. There is a strong suspicion that there would be at least some sort of microbial alien life, although, mm -hmm. you know, we, we've got to prove that. Um, but what has that got to do with cryptocurrencies? They seem to be blamed for all sorts of things these days. They, they do, and you, this is sort of an unexpected consequence. Uh, but, you know, of course, as part of this whole cryptocurrency craze, uh, in the past year or so, cryptocurrency coin miners have been buying up all the world's graphics cards. So they, they use these graphics cards to do the math, the math calculations in order to, to mine Bitcoin and Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies, right? They're, they're, they link their computers into this global network that is processing those transactions, and then they get a tiny amount of coin in return. And these consumer graphics cards are very, very fast at these particular kinds of math calculations. And the problem is that astronomers also need these boards to analyze radio telescope data for alien signals. And now that there is this global shortfall of high-end graphics cards, uh, they're not actually able to operate and upgrade their telescopes the way they want to. Uh, some of these researchers are working at the University of California, Berkeley's uh, really famous research center for SETI, or the, the Search for extra Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And they told the BBC that this is a problem that's come up just in the last few months. Uh, they've in particular been trying to upgrade the processing facilities at the Green Bank Telescope in West Virginia and the Parkes Telescope in Australia. And those are two of the most powerful radio telescopes in the world. And they say it's simply impossible to order the graphics cards that they need in bulk right now just because so many people are buying them to mine cryptocurrency. How much of a problem is this, though? Can they use the cards they have? And, and be at least partly effective? Mm, so the problem is actually that these radio telescopes, the amount of data they produce is so huge. They need these cards to be able to process it in real time as, the, as they're bringing in this data from the skies. Uh, it's an absolutely ridiculous amount of data that they generate. It's something like you know a few terabytes every second. So they, they literally... They have nowhere to store all that data, uh, so they have to take the raw data and process it in real time into something that they can actually store and, and work with. So that's why they need the graphics cards now. They, they literally can't use the telescopes uh, in their upgraded forms unless they have those graphics cards to process the data. Well, I'll spare you any comparisons to alien life on the planet Krypton, home of the fictional Superman. One of the most famous aliens that's ever existed, I presume. Although that's, he never actually existed, did he? Not in real life. I, I, I guess not. No. I knew you were going to go there with that pun. Look, I, I stumbled across it because we were talking before we went on air today about cryptocurrency. And I realized the similarity between that mm. word. And I think even there is a dog called crypto or something like that. In fact, the whole, the whole world of cryptocurrency may be closer to that than we imagine. Anyway, that is not a topic for science and technology. Maybe we can do another pseudoscience segment sometime. But let's talk about yeah, a very heavy topic. Um, I mean, I just said before, Mark, that I'm not sure whether I'd want to know. On the positive side, I don't believe 
a scientist can accurately tell us exactly when we're going to die. However, a new study suggests they can uh, continue to to get uh, some idea. Uh, There's also a new study that has some fascinating findings about how your body continues to function even after you die. Can you touch on that for us? Right. So, uh, you know, obviously we know that when our heart stops beating, our body doesn't immediately shut off. Obviously, your brain cells are still alive, and CPR can revive people. That was, I mean, that was really a game changer because it literally redefined our notion of death. Mm. Uh, and now, recently, scientists have been discovering that even when you might be considered brain dead, your cells still continue to function. And in fact, for some genes in your cells, the level of activity. Actually increases. So these uh, these genes that are you know carrying out particular roles in your cell, they actually become more active after death. Yeah, well, uh, I've it's seen almost research that suggests there's this like, high electrical activity in the brain just before death, and that then that, that's something different. But this is actually happening in in this in the cells of your, of your body, not in your necessarily in your brain. Right. So it's it's almost like death throws, but they're happening at a at a cellular level. Uh-huh. And so uh, this this new study was just published in the journal Nature Communications, and it uh, the scientists analyzed some postmortem samples. And they found that by looking at the activity of genes in the DNA of cells, uh, they could actually determine how much time had passed since that person had died. So it's not um, predicting when they're going to die, but looking at postmortem samples to see when when did they die. And they found that they could actually be quite accurate to within an hour uh, of the actual time of death based on which genes had been activated and how active they were. Could they use that, though, um, in future crime scene investigations, for example? Uh, that, that is the idea. I mean, we're, we're still a ways off from, uh, from you know, actual crime scene investigators you know, going out and, and doing this, but uh, it could be another tool. Um, you know, right now, if they, if they find a body, you, know, you try to determine the time of death based on the body temperature, the state of the body, other rough indicators. Uh, they would still do that, but then they would also have this gene analysis tool. Um, but, you know, this, this research, I just also find it really fascinating because it kind of raises the question, you know, just what is death and, and how does the body actually go through the process of death? There are some studies in animals, uh, in mice, that show that uh, w- the genes that are activated when they die, they're not just genes related to sort of survival and you know, body functions, which you might expect. They also relate to development, to embryo development. So it's almost as if the the body is reverting to the state that it was in in the womb when it when it dies. It's just it's very interesting research. It really is, and what that means could be debated for some time as well. But mm-hmm. what about predicting time of death? I, I I think the headline misled me somewhat on that, but I'm just curious whether this, in your view, could be. You know, there actually used in that respect has been some related research that has shown that. Um, by looking at genes, you can tell not you know when a person is going to die in the future, but at what time of day you're going to die. Uh, it seems to be related to our circadian rhythms. So by looking at your circadian rhythms, which is, is uh, in part due to your genes, uh, they can get a sense of what time of day you're going to die at, uh, which is kind of eerie, I have to it say. It is eerie, because every time, if you knew that, every time you reached that time of day, it might sort of... Right. Or every now and then it would play on your mind. But, but there are so many other causes of death which couldn't be factored into there. Exactly. But but it shows that 
in, in terms of that study, the scientists believe it shows how you know the body chooses to go at a time when it's it's ready to right. In terms of your circadian rhythms, it's going to go at at a time of day uh, when it feels ready. Well, in, that's in actually an empowering way of looking at it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Finally, while many of us have seen human competitors at the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics, what about robots? Are we going to see robotic Olympics in the future? We, have, we sort of see drone competitions and mm-hmm, things of that nature. True. But skiing robots have been on show. That's right. Last week uh, at a ski resort about an hour west of the Pyeongchang Olympic sites, uh, eight teams from universities and research institutes and a private company from around Korea uh, sent these robots that they constructed skiing down the slopes uh, competing for a 10 million won prize. So the rules were these robots had to be over 50 centimeters tall, and they had to use actual skis. You couldn't just make, you know, make a tiny, like a, like a ball robot or something. It had to have legs with joints that would move like human legs. Did it have to have like an upper body as well? Uh, it did, yes, although yeah. it was, uh, you know, the rules were a little less stringent. You'd see some of them had heads, some of them did not, but they had to have the sensors to guide themselves through the but gates vaguely down the humanoid. as well. Vaguely humanoid, yes. Mm. Uh, and so... Uh, if you get a chance to look up the footage online, I highly recommend it. It's very amusing. It's a lot of cute robots falling over and uh, crashing into into fencing. But um, you would think, in theory, if they really cracked this, that they could create the perfect downhill run. But it, it kind of comes back to that whole debate over whether um, a robot can write better than a human being, for example. Because I'm sure the, the very best skiers out there would say there's more to it than just what you could program in. Sure, and they're, they're certainly not at that level yet. No, sounds like it. <laughs> no. Can you program in intuition, for example? Thank you very much, Mark Zastro, science journalist. Always fascinating.